Welcome to the Real Clear Politics Takeaway. I'm Andrew Walworth. It is Friday, September 25th. We're just days away from the first presidential debate of the 2020 election, which will be held next Tuesday at the Cleveland Clinic in Ohio, moderated by Chris Wallace of Fox News. And we're just days away from finding out who President Trump will name as his choice to replace the late Ruth Bader Ginsburg on the Supreme Court. We'll talk about what's at stake and what promises to be an important next couple of days. And of course, we'll talk about the polls, including a brand new one taken by Real Clear Opinion Research and EWTN News, examining how Catholic voters view the election. Joining me are some of my colleagues from Real Clear Politics. Tom Bevin is co-founder and president, Carl Cannon, Washington Bureau Chief, and John Delavolpe, polling director for Real Clear Opinion Research, who also recently joined the Biden campaign to advise them on youth voting. So, Tom, let me start with you. Ruth Bader Ginsburg is the first woman and the first Jewish person to lie in state at the nation's capital. Tomorrow, uh, Trump plans to name his choice to replace her. What's at stake here? And with just 38 days to uh, Election Day, how do you think this will affect the campaign? Well, we're going to find out. I don't know that anybody knows exactly how this is going to play out. It does seem that Trump is going to uh, make an appointment. By all accounts, uh, it's going to be Amy Coney Barrett, who's a uh, based here out of Chicago and was the finalist in, in some of his past searches. She is very conservative, uh, Catholic, and it seems like Mitch McConnell has the votes in the Senate and this is going to move forward. Whether there's a vote before Election Day or after, I think we might see hearings before Election Day. And it has injected another level of intensity to an already intense campaign. Democrats, uh, you know, were running around sounding the alarms and raised, uh, you know, a hundred million dollars just in the two or three days after RBG's passing. There have been threats by Democrats from Nancy Pelosi to Chuck Schumer to about consequences for moving forward, such as packing the court if they were to win control of the the House and the Senate in the November elections and the presidency to admitting Puerto Rico and Washington, D.C. to statehood and on and on. So I think the stakes are very high. Uh, I think the politics of this are very dicey. It can energize both sides. But, you know, in a confirmation hearing setting where Kamala Harris is going to be featured as one of the senators who will be questioning Amy Barrett, well, last time around, we saw Dianne Feinstein question her Catholic faith. It's probably a fairly dicey situation, particularly for Democrats who who don't want to offend, I think, uh, don't want to look like they're beating up on an accomplished woman or a Catholic, quite frankly, just days before the election. So, John, there is lots of attention now to Catholic voters, uh, given that this new justice may swing the balance on issues like religious liberty and abortion. How is this going to play out with the Catholic voters? And I, I know our poll was taken before this all happened, but uh, what insights do you think that poll provided given this context. I think you're right, Andy, to to talk about Catholics as a group of Catholic voters and rather than one single monolithic block. So when we think about Catholic voters, we have Catholic voters who are younger, some who are older, some who practice every week, some who are who are lapsed or just practice their faith several times a year. So we have to be very specific in terms of which quote Catholics we're talking about. So Heading into this election six weeks from now, among white Catholics who practice often, Donald Trump has a significant lead. He is in the mid-50s with that group. For most Catholics, he is 
underwater and not performing nearly as well as he uh, did back in 2016, where a review of the exit polls at that time indicated that he lost the Catholic vote by three or four or five points. I think the big issue for Catholics, as well as for other voters who are still, there's not many of them, who are still kind of on this fence, is going to be less about Catholicism and more about healthcare. Healthcare was a driving issue for Catholics when we did our first wave of this EWTN Real Clear Politics poll almost a year ago. It continues to be a top two or three issue. And I think that's going to be what we hear about um, over the next several weeks. What impact will this choice have on the Affordable Care Act? Carl, is that the way you see it? That basically this is still about healthcare? Certainly the Democrats are trying to focus on healthcare uh, when they talk about this, to the extent that they talk about the Supreme Court nomination at all. Well, I want to add to something both that John Delavolpe and Tom Bevan said, and that was the Catholic vote, as John said, it's, it's not only not monolithic, it's divided in very interesting ways. And John didn't talk about, although his poll goes into it in depth, uh, Latino Catholics. So among about 37% of American Catholics are Hispanic. President Trump doesn't do as well with them as he does with uh, non-Hispanic white Catholics. But among the the devout, the, the people go to mass, the Catholics go to mass once a week who say the rosary, believe in the real presence of, the, of Christ in the Eucharist. These Catholics, even if they're Hispanic, they're more in favor of Trump. And what partly, if you're going to appoint a Supreme Court justice who's Catholic and pro-life, that should help you with that group. They're disproportionately engaged in politics and Trump's doing well with them. But the one caution I would have if I were the Democrats on the Senate Judiciary Committee is that I don't think any Catholics are going to like it if uh, this nominee is beaten up, if it, if it is Amy Comey Barrett uh, or or some, or any of the others. There was a, a woman from the Cuban-American. Barbara Lagoa. Yeah, she, she may be the choice. If, if people are watching these hearings and they perceive that she's being picked on because she's Catholic, my guess is that Catholics, whatever their politics and whatever their faith, I don't think they're going to like it. I assume the Democrats know this. They haven't been careful with that in the past. Kamala Harris said some things to Brett Kavanaugh that there was so much else going on that we didn't concentrate on, but that struck me as anti-Catholic. As Tom mentioned, Feinstein did that with with Amy Barrett when she was a appellate judge. I think they need to be careful that because Catholics in in this poll that John Delavolpe oversaw, the Real Clear Opinion Research EWTN poll, uh, Andy, as you know, religious liberty comes out of that poll. I mean, Catholic Whatever their politics and whatever their level of faith, Catholics look askance at, you know, tearing down Catholic statues of saints, defacing churches, burning Bibles. This is the backdrop to this. You know, it's not strictly about Roe v. Wade. It's a cultural battle, and and Catholics are paying attention to how they're perceived uh, in the mainstream media and by the Democratic and Republican parties. And I would just add to that, just to put it even more in the political context, there are, are not insignificant Catholic populations in Pennsylvania Wisconsin, to a lesser degree, Michigan, three of the most critical states that are going to be fought over. So <laughs> To name could, three states at the top of your head, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, no, but I mean, it, it, it could have real electoral implications. And what about, though, with uh, suburban women? I guess I'm not surprised that healthcare would be the focus, but this abortion issue has been the hot button issue for, for years and years. And it would seem to me that for the Democrats, with those suburban women who are on the on the fence and are largely pro-choice, that this would be a winning issue for them, not a losing issue. I think that's fair. I think, you know, as I said, heading into this, the economy, jobs, healthcare, coronavirus, the big 
big three issues. I'm not sure if there are pro-life Catholics still on the fence at this point and not committed to uh, to Donald Trump if that's where their if that's where their politics are. I do think that this um, and not not everyone agrees, but I do think if there is one side that could be more motivated by not just um, a particular particular kind of a, a, a Catholic choice to be a justice, but just the conversation about about the Supreme Court and um, and why it matters will be. Democrats, because as we know, and as, as I spoke last time on this on this podcast, um, one of the challenges that young Americans have when we try to motivate them to vote is to remind them that politics matters, that government matters, that they can, you know, uh, make in, in, incredibly important decisions about, in this case, healthcare or corporate influence or or guns and those sorts of things. So this, I think, that's going to be um, an important focus. Andy, can I add something to that? I spoke a moment ago about what the Democrats need to be careful of on the Judiciary Committee, not sounding like anti-Catholic bigots. But there's the other side of that, which John just alluded to. You have these young voters, and those of us who paid attention to religion and politics for years uh, have been struck by something that it's, it's historic, and that is the millennial generation and the Gen Zers are less religious than any other generation that's come before them. And these younger voters, they care about racism. They care about all the things we, we know they care about. When uh, some Democrat on the Judiciary Committee grills Amy Coney Barrett, for instance, about that she's an adherent of People of Praise, which is a charismatic Christian group with, of, of Catholics, and they're going to say, well, gee, that, sound, that sounds a little out there. Even millennial Catholics are not going to maybe think that's out of bounds because they are more secular. Even if they've been raised in Catholics, they're more secular than their elders in polling at the Pew Forum, they, they call these the nuns. That's not N-U-N, uh, nuns. They're not Catholic nuns. They're nuns, N-O-N-E-S. They, you ask them what faith they're, you know, Methodist, Baptist, whatever, Jewish, they're nuns. And they're high in this group. And, and the other thing that came in John's poll, which showed, which is that Catholics who only go to mass once a year or less, Donald Trump is really underwater with these with these voters, that, that less than he doesn't even get forty percent job approval among them, and they're disproportionately young. So the Republicans have to be careful too. This is not their grandfather's election. They have to negotiate these young voters and speak to the issues that they care about. And as John's poll showed out, that what comes up is health care, the pandemic, the economy, all the social justice, all of these events we've been dealing with in this hellish year of 2020. Well, uh, let's turn to the other upcoming event, which is the first uh, presidential debate. It's next Tuesday. It starts at 9 p.m. It's going to be 90 minutes. Topics and questions have been chosen by Chris Wallace. There'll be six 15-minute segments. Uh, and these are the topics that the Commission on Debates has said that will be covered. Uh, it's the Trump and Biden records, the Supreme Court, COVID-19, the economy, race violence in our cities, and the integrity of the election. So how they're going to get through all that, I have no idea. <laughs> but um, Tom, let me start with you again. What's at stake here? And what are you going to be looking for on uh, debate night? Well, I mean, look, the stakes are very high. I mean, this is one of the last, at least knowable pivot points in the campaign, right? There may be other twists and turns that are out there that we don't know about, but this is one that that is going to generate an awful lot of, of scrutiny and intensity, both these candidates. Um, and I'll be watching for the same thing that I think uh, everyone's going to be watching for, particularly Joe Biden, 
how does he do? How does he perform? Is he is he sort of up to snuff? Can he hang with Donald Trump and the attacks that are certainly going to come his way? And how's he going to respond? It'll be interesting to see how those topics are approached and how each campaign comes after. I mean, obviously, COVID is a weak point for Donald Trump and, and a strong point for Biden. And right after that, you've got the economy, which is uh, Trump's probably strongest point. So it'll be interesting to see. But, you know, what do they say about the best laid plans, right? They they disintegrate upon contact. And Donald Trump will make contact early in the debate, no matter what Chris Wallace asks, right? So we could be going in a we could be going in a whole bunch of different directions. But but obviously it's 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 a high stakes uh, moment in this campaign. It may turn out to be be a nothing burger and and not have an effect on the campaign, but we won't know that until it's done. And the old saw is that you can't win a campaign based on a debate performance, but you can certainly lose it. And I think that's kind of the situation that these campaigns or these candidates find themselves in, particularly Joe Biden. Yeah, John, one of the things that has been relatively constant this year and a year that's, uh, as Tom said, has been pretty crazy is is these polls. Uh, almost every poll you look at is fairly consistent. So it's true that that debate may not have an effect. At the same time, Biden has, at least by recent historical standards, limited his exposure to the press and to questioning to a great degree. I mean, people talk about, you know, Biden, Biden and Biden in the basement and all that sort of stuff. There's an element of truth in all that. Given that, do you think this debate is more important because it's one of the few times we're going to see Biden alone on stage, no prompter? Chris Wallace, a pretty tough moderator by past standards. And Donald Trump there doing whatever Donald Trump is going to do. The presidential debate is is obviously very, uh, very, very important. But when I look back, which I actually did this week for for a class um, where I, where I lectured, I look back at the last fifty years of uh, polling related to presidential debates, and what I found actually surprised me, which is the average change before and after a debate over the last essentially 50 years is two points and um, going before and going after in the one campaign where debates allegedly had a, a, a larger significance was 1976, where most people and Carl, you can speak to this, thought that Gerald Ford lost the debate when he talked about Poland not being not being under the thumb of the he Soviet Union. just Ukraine. ahead of his time, right? John. It, it happened. <laughs> but Carter was the one who lost his lead uh, during that debate season, right? Just lost his lead. So going back to the last 50 years, there have been very few moments um, where when you average everything out, the polling before the first week of the debate versus the polling the week after the last debate, where we've seen any significant change. The one moment... Um, in presidential campaigns that is most volatile is the summer during the conventions. That's when we see the most the most movement. The springtime leading into the summer and the fall coming out of the summer, very little movement, just a couple of points. So that's what the history says. Now, of course, we can't predict what's going to happen next week and in the, in the following weeks. But I, I think that what voters want to see is, is Vice President Biden being strong, talking about his plan for COVID, talking about healthcare and talking about um, his plan for working class Americans. So that's what I expect that you'll see. And there was an interesting piece also out today in the Washington Post talking from a Moody's team, uh, a, a group of uh, economists who indicated that the economic outlook is strongest, in their opinion, if, uh, if Democrats sweep. So that's going to be something I think newly injected into the campaign next week, most likely during that debate. 
So, Carl, the, the sort of, again, the conventional wisdom is that the Trump campaign may have gone too far in sort of lowering expectations for Biden. Oh, you just sound like Tom. That's his theory. Yeah, well, <laughs> I guess I'm the conventional wisdom. <laughs> Tom, you now set the conventional well, Listen, I, it, the Trump campaign has, in, in classic Trumpian fashion, sort of tried to walk that back and suggest that Biden's going to be, you know, they're going to give him a shot in the ass or something. He's going to be on steroids and, and he's going to be really up to the task now. They've, uh, But I... I by and large, I do think, even if it is a conventionalism, they've they've kind of set their own trap by suggesting that he's not going to be up to the job. So if he's able to just stay upright, he'll be he'll he'll clear the bar. But go ahead. Okay, but to Andy's question, I mean, look, Joe Biden is going to be seventy eight in two months, and and that's I think that's the probably the remaining doubt that people have about him. If there if there are swing voters out there, and I'd like to meet them, but. If they're and they're still and they, they they're leaning toward Biden because they're tired of all the angst. Maybe they don't blame President Trump for all that's happened, but they're just tired of it. They want to return to normalcy, but they don't want to elect somebody who's in the early stages of dementia. So they're gonna they're gonna look and see. That's pretty low hurdle. If he can't get over it, he doesn't deserve to be president. But the other thing that I think Joe Biden wants to do, in addition to what John said, is. He's not using the phrase, I'm a uniter, not a divider. The last three presidents who've done it have found out how difficult that is to actually bring about. But he's been saying something. He said it in his acceptance speech at the virtual convention. He said it again uh, earlier this week in a speech from Ohio and amplified on it. He's been saying, I'm going to work as hard for the people who don't vote for me if I'm president than the people who did vote for me. That's an ingenious remark because in one sense, it sounds like, obviously, that's the job. It's to be expected. But President Trump, from the day of his inauguration, he hasn't spoken that way and he hasn't governed that way. He doesn't see the world that way. And what Biden is trying to do is get the, you know, the, the people who are going to vote for NER and NED, there's no point talking about them. If there's people out there that are independents and polls show, John knows this, you know, up to a third of the people now in the country or, or more do not identify with either political party. And to those people, Biden's saying, but I'll still represent you. I think that's what he's going to try and get across in the debate. And I actually think the president should have an answer for it. I don't know if he does, but that's, if you're, if you're talking about, if everybody performs and, and acts in good, they don't, stack the audience with sexual assault victims or do all of the stuff they did last time. If they actually have a debate, that's, I think, what Donald Trump wants to reply to. I, and I think he does. He, he has an answer for it, but I don't know if he'll bring it to the debate. Well, how, be- how, how crazy, I'm sorry, Carl, I think you're, you're right. And how bizarre is it that we're potentially debating whether we're going to have a president who represents all of America? The ones who vote for him and the ones who don't for, vote for him. Well, that's, right. that's, where, that's where we are, isn't <laughs> that's where it? Where we are. That's where we are, sadly. Well, Tom, let's turn to President Trump for a minute then. What do you think his biggest weaknesses are heading into this debate? Well, there was a poll from the NBC News Wall Street Journal last week that showed the good news for Trump is that 40% of voters say the economy is the number one issue for them. And Trump has a 10-point lead on the economy over Joe Biden in that poll. That's the good news. The bad news for Trump is that issue number t- number two, which was healthcare, 18% of voters say that's the most important issue. And issue number three which is COVID, also 18%, I believe, in that poll. Joe Biden has leads of 22 and 23 points, respectively. So COVID, I think, is obviously his biggest weakness. His handling of that, he's still underwater with a majority of Americans. Uh, they don't believe he he did a good job. And the Biden campaign has been pretty focused on that during this campaign. Um, I think you'll continue to see that in the debate. You know, to the extent that that continues to be an issue, and the Trump campaign hopes that over the next six weeks, it, it subsides as an issue, but we don't know if that's going to be the case or not. So COVID is obviously his biggest uh, weakness. 
Healthcare is the other one. John mentioned it earlier, and, and this plays into the Supreme Court fight because Obamacare is the cases before the Supreme Court. Trump has continued to say that he's got a healthcare plan. He's rolling something out today. It turns out it's probably going to be more of an executive order that's going to have no real legislative or, or legal impact. He continues to say that he's got this great plan. He's going to put it forward. He's promised and promised and promised, but really hasn't delivered on the issue of healthcare. He continues to say, well, pre-existing conditions are going to be covered in my plan, but you can expect to see Joe Biden confront Donald Trump on that issue and probably Chris Wallace will too during the debate. Those are his two biggest weaknesses. He's got to come up with satisfactory answers for a certain percentage of the population over the next six weeks, or it's going to be a problem. Well, let's talk just a little bit more. We got a few minutes left. I just want to talk about this uh, Real Clear Opinion research poll on the Catholic voters. I think we've all agreed there's no such thing as the Catholic vote, but they are Catholic voters. This is one in a series that uh, RCR has been conducting in partnership with EWTN News, which is the Catholic cable television news channel. We've been doing this for almost a year, I guess, maybe eight months or so. What picture do you think is emerging of Catholic voters? And uh, is there anything that stands out to you or surprised you as you've been going through this exercise? I think the diversity within the Catholic community is something that has really stood out from the very, very beginning. Uh, as Carl talked about, it is uh, a church in many ways that looks like America with the growing number. Um, it's getting younger with a growing number of Hispanic and uh, Latino members um, uh, of faith. And they, I think, in many ways have trapped along with the American electorate more broadly. In particular, I think the degree to which COVID and the coronavirus and the pandemic has has made Catholics in particular realize what's important in life. We have we saw a significant number of people indicate that this brought them closer to their faith, closer to God, that they're looking forward to getting back into that community, getting back into attending Mass on a regular basis. And that's something that um, we found across all segments, Latinos and whites, younger, older, they may not all decide to vote for the same person, um, you know, in early voting on November 3rd. But uh, collectively, I do think that this is something that's really helped them focus in terms of what's truly important in life. Carl? It's hard to um, follow John Della Volpe. I'm, I'm reminded of uh, Dick Cheney's dictum in Wyoming politics, never to follow Alan Simpson to the lectern. But look, here's the challenge for each candidate. These voters are looking to see who's going to lead us to a better place. What, what President Trump is telling uh, all voters, not just Roman Catholics, is that I, I, I built the economy. The economy is really solid. Who is doing well? Uh, the people you profess to care about, he said, you know, to progressives, uh, Latinos, um, African-Americans, the young, and I could do it again. And that, that's, his, that's his pitch. And what Joe Biden is saying, because I'm one of you, uh, Roosevelt used to do that. FDR, he he would go down to 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 these, uh, you know, to some farm, and you know, there'd be these tobacco chewing guys out there, and this guy with this Brahmin accent from Hyde Park. I, I'm one of you, he'd say. Well, but that's and Joe Biden goes back to that. He's 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 returned to that, and he he says that to Catholics, and he's the guy. He, he's a natural Catholic. He crosses himself. He uses Catholic references and biblical references when he speaks. He's also not where the bishops are on many of the life issues and that's well known but he's basically saying look um i'm 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 america and if you want to return if you want to return to the day when we all cared about each other vote for me i, I don't know if it's going to work or not 
It's an appeal that usually works, but these are tough times. John said a moment ago, you know, he, he noted, why are we even talking about whether a president will represent all the people? But Biden himself acknowledged he gets pushback from Democrats when he says that. So we're a divided country right now. And you look at this 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 poll of Roman Catholics, a majority say they're doing okay, uh, okay or better economically during the p- pandemic. When you ask the same question, how's the country doing? Uh, they said they think the country's in trouble, that people are suffering. And what that shows you is that there is a segment of the Catholic vote and, and of the electorate at large that puts America ahead of self. And the candidate who appeals to those people will probably win. Well, I think we'll leave it right there. It's a great place to leave it. I want you all to join us again next week. Um, I want to thank Tom Bevan, Carl Cannon, John Del Volpe. And this has been the Real Clear Politics Takeaway for Friday, September 25th. If you want to find out more, check out realclearpolitics.com. And you can also look at our poll page, uh, which talks about the RCR poll that we've been talking about on Catholics. As ever, thank you for listening. And until next time, for Real Clear Politics, I'm Andrew Walworth.